Our scripture for today is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 36 to 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he, sa he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we just finished a series in Luke over at Grace Church at Greenwich, and this particular text was very encouraging to me, and so I wanted to share that with all of you. But let me pray before we look at Luke 24 together. Father, we thank you that your word gives us life and forgiveness and hope. So please give us ears to hear and help us to believe. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as we look at Luke 24, I want us to see that we all want this to be true. We want to know that death is not the end, that life continues even after we die. Your life is the most precious thing you have, and none of us want to lose it. None of us want it to end. So when someone comes along saying that it doesn't have to end, that everything you have, everything you love, everything you want to keep, it can all be yours, and you can have it all forever, when someone comes along saying that, there's a part of us that desperately wants it to be true, even if it's hard to believe. We want to live in a world where Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, we, um, we live in a secular culture. What does that mean? Well, it means that most people believe, or at least say they believe, that this world is all there is, and this life is all you have. So there's no afterlife, no heaven or hell, no consequences after you die, because when you die, that's it. You cease to exist. When that light in your eyes goes out, it goes out for the very last time. You see nothing, hear nothing, remember nothing, are nothing. And whatever you were is gone forever. And when you die, you rot in a grave. And sure, you continue, but only in the sense that the molecules that once made up your body become something else. Food for worms, fertilizer for grass, 
That's the secular way of thinking about death. And I just want to point out something that doesn't make any sense to me. Secular people say that there's nothing in the beginning and nothing in the end. So there's no rhyme or reason to the way you came into this world, no purpose behind it. It's random. It's chance. It's nothing. And when we die, we rot. We cease to exist. So there's nothing in the beginning and nothing in the end, and you still want to say that everything in between means something? At least have the guts to be consistent. Have the guts to say that if the beginning is nothing and the end is nothing, then the middle means nothing as well. No wonder our culture is lost. No wonder our young people are despairing. They can do the math. And you just told them that their lives mean absolutely nothing. Well, here's what Christians believe. We know that death is real. It's not that we have our heads in the sand. We know that death is a terrifying and merciless enemy. And he starts killing you long before you die. He takes away the people you love. He strips away your life one piece at a time. And only after he's taken everything from you does he finally put an end to you. We don't have our heads in the sand. We know that we all have to face death. He's the robber who plunders your house. He's the tyrant who gets away with murder, and he has never lost a fight. But when Jesus walked out of his tomb, it's not just that death lost his grip on him. Jesus went in there and broke his hands and teeth. And you want that to be more than just a story. You want that to be true. Jesus Christ broke the teeth of death. He smashed the tyrant to pieces. And here's why you want this to be true. It means there's a future for those who believe. If you believe in Jesus, his victory becomes your victory, and his future becomes your future. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is uh, look at Luke 24, and I want us to see the kind of victory that Jesus won. And I want us to know that his victory becomes our future if indeed we believe. So have a look with me at verse 39. And notice one of the first things Jesus says to his disciples. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. So remember that guy you followed for three years, the one you hoped would be the redeemer of Israel and the savior of the world? You thought you lost me forever, but here I am. It is I myself. It's me, Jesus says. And think about what that means for Jesus and his followers. They spent three years living together, eating together, serving together. Think of all the memories they shared, the moments they treasured. You know that joy you feel when you've made someone smile? Or those days that end with the words, best day ever? How many of those days did they have with Jesus? Or think about the everyday memories, sitting down at a table, sharing a meal together, 
talking about your day, going for a walk, the unplanned moments of quality time. How many of those moments did they have with Jesus? And when he died, they thought, well, that's all we have left. We can hang on to the memories. We can remember what he was like. When I talk to some people about death, this is all they've got. This is the best they can do. The only future they can imagine with the people they love is visiting a grave and remembering, or looking at a picture and remembering. That's not really a future, is it? What kind of life is that relating to a memory? But when Jesus showed up in that room and he said, it is I myself, what was he saying to them? He was saying, you can have more than just the memories. You can have me. That's what our future looks like. It's not one long memorial service. It's a meal. We're going to sit down and talk to each other. We're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to make new memories together. It is I myself, Jesus said. It's me. This is the future that Jesus won for those who trust in him. It's a personal future, and you're still going to be you, and we're still going to know each other in heaven. Just last summer, we went back to London for the first time in four years, and most of our friends still look the same. You don't really age that much when you're in your 30s and 40s. Um, but the ones who changed a lot were the teenagers, the ones who became teenagers. Four years is a long time if you're going from 10 to 14. And there were a few I almost didn't recognize, and they had to come up to me and say, look, it's me. And I did a double take and I said, oh my goodness, it is you. I always knew you'd turn out well, but, but look at you. You're all grown up. Now think about that experience of watching a child grow up watching a child unfold before you into this fully grown person. Before there was a seed, but now you see a flower. There was an acorn, but now you see a mighty oak. That experience of watching a child grow up, that's what we'll have when we see each other in the kingdom of God. We're going to know each other in heaven, and we're going to look at each other and we're all going to do double takes. And we're going to say, oh my goodness, it is you. I hardly recognize you, but it is you. I mean, I always knew you could be like this. I saw your potential. Sure, it was only your very best moments and in very tiny flashes. But the potential was there. And look at you now. Your kindness, your curiosity, your playfulness, it's all there. Everything that made you, you, it's still there. Before it was just a seed. But look at you now. Do you see what the resurrection means? It means that people matter. It means that relationships matter. You can invest in people, and you can love them, and you're not wasting your time. In fact, you'd be wasting your time on anything else because it's people that last. Not things, but people. Just remember this, you have never spoken to a mere mortal 
The people next to you will live forever. So invest in them, love them, and make sure they know Jesus. It doesn't matter who else they know. This is the one guy they have to meet. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And we all thought, that's a one-way door. But he came back. And he said, it is I myself. It's me. Yes, I died, but it's me that came back. It's still me. And that means there's a future for those who believe. And you're still going to be you. And we're all going to know each other in heaven. So we have a personal future, but we also have a physical future. And have a look with me again at verse 39. And Jesus says to his disciples, Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then he sits down and eats a piece of fish. You know, um, the thing that always gets me about these resurrection accounts is how ordinary they are. Just look at what happens. Jesus crushed the head of evil. He broke the teeth of death. And what does he do to celebrate? He eats a piece of fish. He celebrates his cosmic victory by eating fish and chips. What is that all about? I mean, if you're going to make up a story about a man coming back from the dead, at least write a story that would cost millions to make into a movie. Break the budget with special effects. But Luke? Luke has Jesus eating a piece of fish. How much would it cost to make that into a movie? I mean, you can buy a fish sandwich at McDonald's for $5, even with inflation. Why does Luke write such an ordinary account? Well, first of all, this is what happened. And Luke is a responsible historian, and he will only ever write the facts. He never embellishes his accounts. And so if it means that Jesus' cosmic celebration is eating a piece of fish, well, so be it. But there's a more profound reason why Luke put this into his account. Like any good historian, he edited his material. He couldn't put everything in. So he could have looked at this account of Jesus eating a fish, and he could have said, well, it's a little ordinary. It's mundane, uninspiring. Maybe we'll leave it out. But he doesn't. He puts it in. And here's the reason why. When Jesus comes back from the dead... He goes back to doing normal things, physical things, things that require a body. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means that our future will be recognizable. It's not an out-of-this-world kind of future. It's a this-world-restored kind of future. We're not going to be a disembodied consciousness. We're not going to ascend to a new plane of existence. We're not going to join the all-soul. We're going to have a body. And you'll be able to touch things and taste things and enjoy your favorite meal and embrace the people you love. Just think about what that means for us. Uh, we live within the gravity well of New York City, so a lot of New York rubs off on us. And New York is a frantic city. People are always moving, 
always going somewhere, always moving quickly. And if you're moving too slow, well, then get out of the way. Why? Why are people like this? Well, they've got things to do. They've got places to go. And they don't want to miss out. And I get it. If this life is all you have, I get it. You better make the most of it. That's why people are frantic. But I've lived long enough now to see what happens when people finally get what they want. So they've been working their whole lives or something and they finally get it, and you know what happens? It doesn't make them happy. Because now that they have it, they're just afraid of losing it. And they're just as frantic trying to hang on to something they know they cannot keep. Because guess what? Now that they're in the second half of their lives, they're that much closer to dying. But if you're a Christian, you can relax. That's the point. Jesus sits down and eats a piece of fish. That means you can relax. Because everything you could have done but failed to do in this body, you're going to have another one. You'll get another crack at it. If you're a Christian, there's no such thing as missing out. So you never got your dream house. Well, you have a mansion waiting for you in heaven, a room in your father's house. You never got to see the Alps? Well, the mountains will be singing in the new creation. The, the Alps are nothing compared to that. You never got married? Your marriage fell apart? Well, there's a wedding feast waiting for you with real food and real wine. And let me tell you, the best marriages in the history of the world, they are dim echoes compared to what you will enjoy at the wedding feast of the Lamb. If you're a Christian, you can relax because you're not missing out. Think about the reason we take photos. We want to capture those moments, those perfect little moments that keep slipping away. We want to hang on to them. We don't want to let them go. We want a way to come back to them. There's nothing wrong with taking photos. Take the photos and enjoy them. I think photos are wonderful. But if you're a Christian, you can relax. If you missed a photo, it's okay. If you lose all your albums, fine. It'll be fine. Because the best moments now, the ones we keep coming back to, they are nothing compared to what we will have. Some of you know um, Joni Erickson Tada. She's a Christian. Uh, she's paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, she spent most of her life in a wheelchair. And she tells the story of a Christian meeting where everyone was asked to kneel in prayer. And she was the only one who couldn't. And she sat in her wheelchair and watched all these people kneel. And then she started crying. And it's not what you think. She wasn't crying tears of pity. She wasn't feeling sorry for herself. She was thinking about the first thing she'll do when she finally gets her resurrected body. And she said, when I get to the kingdom of God, the first thing I will do is kneel. I will kneel before my king. I will kneel on my glorified knees. I'd love to know what it's like to kneel 
to not move even when I can move. That will be my sacrifice of praise, to be still before my king. And then, then I'll get up and dance. If you're a Christian, just remember this. You are not missing out. Heaven is not a consolation prize. It's not something we get at the end to make us feel better about the things we lost. No, it's a restoration. Everything you lost will be restored. We're going to have it all, and we are not missing out. So if doing the right thing will cost you, do it. If you have to sacrifice something, give it up. And if you lose something, it's going to be okay. And please don't mishear me. All those things you lost are important. Those are costly and painful things to lose. But you're going to get it back. It's all going to be restored when the kingdom finally comes. So it's a personal future. It's a physical future. And lastly, it's a joyful future. Have a look with me at verse 40. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And let's just pause there. What's distinctive about his hands and his feet? Well, that's where the nails went through. And the scars are still there. So he showed them his hands and his feet. He showed them his wounds, and they disbelieved for joy. Only a few days earlier, those wounds meant the end of their lives. They pinned all their hopes and dreams on Jesus, but then he was crucified, and those wounds brought nothing but sorrow and grief. But now... Those same wounds bring them joy. He showed them his hands and his feet, and they disbelieved for joy. What's changed? Well, now they see what those wounds really are. Those wounds were not the end of their lives. Those wounds were the saving of their lives. What they thought was a tragedy turned out to be triumph. What they thought was disaster turned out to be salvation. And now they finally see it and their sorrow has turned into joy. Sometimes people ask me, will we forget our sorrows in heaven? All those wounds we suffered, all the tragedies we endured, will we just forget them? Is that how God will make us perfectly happy? It's a profound question. And it usually comes from a place of sorrow and grief. Some pains never go away. Some wounds never heal. And it's the wounded who would ask a question like that. And death is very cruel, isn't he? As time goes on, you start to lose things. That's what the Bible means when it says that we live in the shadow of death. Death is already killing us long before we die. He takes away our youth, our health, our relationships, and people. He strips away our lives one piece at a time. He plunders our house, and then he puts an end to us. He's a robber and a killer. 
And then he got his hands on Jesus. And he must have thought, well, this is it. My magnum opus, my coup de grace, my crowning glory. I will kill the author of life. But boy, was he wrong. Because killing the author of life, what did that achieve? Nothing less than the salvation of the world. His worst turned out to be God's best. And do you see what happened there? It's not just that Jesus wins and evil loses. That would be a good story, a happy story. But Jesus does one better. It's that he uses evil for good. He commandeers it for a greater purpose. He has so mastered it that it somehow does his bidding. Evil is a patsy, a puppet, a poodle on a leash. And only after evil has served its purpose does Jesus finally put an end to it. Do you see how the resurrection changes the way we see the cross? The very thing that looked like disaster turned out to be salvation. And do you see what that means for us? It's not that you'll forget your wounds in heaven. Jesus has something better in mind. It's that you'll finally understand them. You'll see them for what they are, the goodness and wisdom of God. And you'll finally understand that verse, all things work together for the good of those who love him. Every wound had a purpose. Every loss had a point. And when you see God face to face, it'll all make sense. And you'll look at the wound you've been carrying all these years, and the things that made you cry will make you laugh. The things that made you mourn will make you dance. The things that brought you sorrow will bring you joy. And you'll finally get the answer to that question we always ask, why? Why? We'll see why. It's only a matter of time. And I can't wait to see the look on our faces when everything finally makes sense. There's a joy in getting back what you lost. There's an even greater joy in knowing why you had to lose it in the first place. And we will see that God's way was in fact the best way, the only way. So let our enemies do their worst. It is still God's best. Jesus showed them his hands and his feet, his wounds, and they disbelieved for joy. Now, if those wounds can bring them joy, the same can be true for you, for the wounds you are carrying with you. One day, our questions will be answered, and our sorrow will turn into joy. Let me close with this. Um, you may remember what it was like to be a child, or you may have children, and you can see the world through their eyes, the hope, the optimism, the rose-colored glasses. But then we grow up, right? You know, so we used to believe in things like hope when we were kids, but I'm growing up now. 
I know what the world is like. Don't settle for that. Don't become cynical. Don't crush that part of you. That's your humanity talking. God wrote eternity into our hearts, and it's human to hope and dream of a better future. So don't crush that part of you. Look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. They buried him in a tomb, and we thought that's a one-way door. But he came back, and he was still himself, and he sat down and ate a piece of fish, and he turned their sorrow into joy. That reality can be your future, and all you have to do is believe. Don't you want this to be true? Maybe everything else has let you down, but this, this won't let you down. Jesus won't let you down because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you that Jesus is risen. And that means our future is secure. We'll have a room in your house and a seat at your table and a throne in your kingdom. And nothing can take that away from us. And even our wounds, we'll see them for what they are. We'll see your goodness and your wisdom. We'll see why it had to be this way. And the things that brought us sorrow will bring us joy. Help us to believe that now. And help us to look forward to the day when we no longer see it with the eyes of faith. But our faith has turned into sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.